Hey everybody, and welcome to Kensington Online. My name is Patrick, and we're so glad that you decided to join us today. And if it's your first time checking this out, uh, we just wanted to say welcome. Uh, a lot of you already follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, but if you don't, that's really one of the best ways to keep up with everything that's happening here uh, at our church. Now, today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be actually rewinding all the way back uh, to the day that Jesus was born and asking the question, what would happen if Christmas didn't exist? And not only that, what would happen if Jesus had never come into the world? And so we're going to be looking at that idea. But before we jump into the talk today, you're going to get to hear an opener with some of your favorite Christmas songs. And here's what we'd ask you to do. If you're at home, if you're just hanging out, we'd love for you just to sing along, even if you're at your house or in a coffee shop. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. And then at the end of our service today, we're going to have a candlelit moment. Uh, so if you're at home, we would love to invite you just to grab a candle and join us in that. Uh, I feel like you would enjoy doing that along with us. I think the band's about to get started. We're going to get started here, but we just want to say thanks so much for watching online. Well, good morning, Kensington. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing some Christmas songs. Here we go. A Christmas song called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Any kids or any parents that wish they were kids around the holidays here? Any kids out there? Come on, let me hear you. All right, we're going to sing this together, all right? Put your hands together like this. Come on. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names Never pouring it all, joining any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with you know so fine, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then all the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, you go down in history. All right, that sounded pretty good. This next one is for all the fans of snow. Any fans of snow? All right, let's sing it out. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen to hear Sleigh bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card arrived May your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmases be white Do we like hot cocoa in this room, anybody? Fires? Fires? Okay, we're going to sing about it. Are you guys with me? Here we go. 
weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, come on, you sing. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't feel shine to stop in. And I bought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. And the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbying. But as long as you love me so, let us know, let us know, let us know. All right, this next one's going to throw back to MJ and the Jackson 5. You guys ready to sing Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Here we go. be seated. Once again, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Kensington. We are so grateful that you are here today. If this is your first time ever joining us in Kensington, I want to give you a special welcome and thank you for being here. We don't believe that it's a coincidence that you're here and that God has a very personal message for you. And if you have uh, any questions about who we are or why we do things the way that we do them, uh, you can visit the starting point table out in the lobby right after today's service. So, man, it is hard to believe that Christmas 2017 is here, and I know as much as we look forward to it, it's going to be fun. It can be a little stressful, too, with family dynamics. Most families are a lot like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts, right? So, we have have got this summer or uh, uh, family survival kit that one of you is going to be walking away with. Now, let me share with you what's in here, okay? First, we have the family stress ball. This will come in handy when you have family members that want to have a friendly conversation today about politics, right? And we have earplugs for the same conversation. And we have gift cards and a Santa hat, some other stuff. So here is the question that I have for you. If you could please raise your hand if you have guests staying with you overnight, at least one night this weekend. Raise your hand if you have guests. All right, keep them up if you have more than five guests that will be staying with you this weekend. We have a couple, one there. How about uh, six, six guests, eight guests, 10? Yeah, wow, bed and breakfast, 12 guests. Anyone have 12? All right, we have a winner right there. Come on up. We've got this for you. Wow. God bless you. We will be praying for you. <laughs> How many? 16. Can you imagine? <laughs> what a blast. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. We have got... 
an amazing service plan for you guys. So before we get started, we are going to invite you to please stand, and I'd like to, uh, you to turn to someone around you and tell them what your family tradition is. Is it a holiday ham or a Christmas turkey or maybe something else? In my family, it's venison. So please stand and welcome each other. Thank you. So stay standing for just a second, if you would, real quick. They tell me that the 11 o'clock is the fun and rowdy crowd. Is that true? All right, so like the center section is the fun and rowdy section. That's great. All right, right over here. Are you guys fun and rowdy as well? All right, and then real quick, where are all the kids at in the room? Let me hear you. Yes, you guys, so cute. Oh my goodness. All right, stay standing. So to kick off today, what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game because I want to test your knowledge on Christmas, right? And so we're going to see who really knows what Christmas is all about. And so we have this game called the Christmas Face. I said that pretty good. Face off. That was good. All right, so we've got a couple of questions here. Now, the way that we play this game is pretty simple. What you're going to do is we're going to put up two kind of opposing answers. And so if you like the answer that's on this side, you're going to turn and face that direction. So let's practice that. Everybody turn real quick. Face that direction. So good. And if you like the other answer, we're going to turn and face this direction. Let's see you do that. And now let's just dance it out. I'm just kidding. No, that's great. All right, so... so I hear you, Eric. That was beautiful. That was great. So what we're going to do is you've got to make sure that you find the answer. You've got five seconds to pick your answer, but do not cheat. It's church, people. Okay? All right. So, all right, so here we go. First question is this. What is the most popular Christmas treetop? Is it angel or star? Angel or star? Go ahead and face the direction. you got five seconds. Is it angel or star? Two, one. It is angel. All right, who picked star? Let me see it. Hands up. Awesome. Sit down. All right. Um, just kidding. Yeah. All right, you lose. Go ahead. Sit down. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm in it. No, no. That's great. All right, here we go. Question number two. Some of you are really upset with me. It's going to be okay. We're fine. All right. Who has the best-selling Christmas album? Is it Mariah Carey or Josh Groban? Five seconds. Pick the best-selling Christmas album. Three, two, one. It is Josh Groban. Wow. All right, let's just clarify. I didn't ask you what your favorite Christmas album was. All right, anyway, so that. All right, that's the only Christmas song I really, that's not true. All right, so question number three, here we go. What year was It's a Wonderful Life released? 1946 or 1942? Now remember everything that's on the line here. You could absolutely win nothing, but we'll just keep going. All right, 1946 or 1942, pick your side. It is... 46. Insert Jimmy Stewart impersonation. So good. I got two questions left. Now, this next one is near and dear to my heart. And for my friend who has 16 people at your house, 16? Wow. This one is near and dear to yours as well. Uh, The question is, in what country was eggnog invented? Because we know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What year was eggnog invented? Switzerland or Britain? Which one was invented? Three, two, one. Britain. Wow. 
I love that we have the entire family that's still in. That's fantastic. You guys are rock stars. All right, who all is in real quick? Let me see you. Go ahead and put your hand if you're in. All right, yeah, you're in. Tell me your name real quick, buddy. One more time. Caleb. And back there, what's your name? Max. Yeah, what's your name? I'm going to have you yell it out to everybody. Right here, what's your name? Kim. And then right in the back? Kim. All right, awesome. And you, as loud as you can, say it. What's your name? Susan? Sheila. She's like, oh, goodness, there's a thousand people looking at me. Everybody, no, don't look. That'd be bad. All right, what's your name? Yeah, you. Yeah. Stud. <laughs> Robert, that's all right. And tell me your name. Ryan and Ella. Ella and Chris. All right, here we go. You ready? One last question. Now, remember, there's a lot on the line here, people. Last question is this. How many top 40 Christmas songs mention Jesus? Less than five or more than ten? Think about it. Think about it long and hard. Here we go. Three, two. One. Here we go. The answer is less than five. All right. Who's still in? Raise your hand real quick. If you're still in. All right. Let's give it up for our winners. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic job. Now, here's a question that I want us to think about for a few minutes, right? The question is this. What if there were, in fact, no Christmas? Now, let's just rewind for a second to think back. If there were no Christmas that we were experiencing, can you imagine what all we would be without? So this is for all the kids in the room. Ready, kids? Ready? Take a big, deep breath. I want you on the count of three to yell out your favorite Christmas movie. You ready? One, two, three. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you said Elf? Anybody say Elf? Yes. If there were no Christmas, we would not see Will Ferrell in those tights. And that's a sad day, right? We just wouldn't do it. Right? We also wouldn't see the Grinch if there was no Christmas. Am I right? And then, uh, ladies, I know this is emotional and Christmas brings out all the feels, right? I know that. But I just wanted to say this. If we didn't have Christmas, right, we also wouldn't have the Hallmark Channel. Because you only watch that in December anyway. Am I right? Fellas, am I right? Yes. All right. So you would have the Hallmark Channel, and that's a sad day. And then for everybody else in the room, let's just be honest. If there were no Christmas, there would also not be, and it would be a crying shame, no Cousin Eddie. Yeah? It's like, I've never seen a picture like that in church before. That's great. Yeah. There would not be that. If we didn't have Christmas, things would be significantly different. So here's what I want to do just for a couple minutes. I want you to tell me, yell out, what would we not have if we didn't have Christmas? Just yell it out as loud as you can. Go for it. Santa? We said Santa? All right, we're going to put Santa real big in the middle and underline. What else would we not have? What did you say? Black Friday. (laughs) That's the best answer I think I've heard in all four services. We would not have Black Friday. And anybody upset about that? All right, we'll just leave that right there. Yeah, it always gets me. I'm like, I'm not going to do Black Friday, and I always do. Anyway, all right, somebody else. Uh, What else would we not have? Cookies. Christmas cookies, is that what you said? So Christmas cookies, uh, cookie. Did you say presents? Yeah, we would not have presents. And along those same lines, our uh, parents wouldn't have January credit card debt. That's great. Uh, also, two. Okay, what else would we not have? You said Rudolph. We wouldn't have Rudolph. Rudolph's another great answer. That's great. What else? <coughs> what did you say? Christmas movies. That is so true. We wouldn't have like the Christmas movies and that would be very sad. What else? Christmas music. You said pine tree needles? (laughs) Coming from like one of our firemen. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Christmas. I just, music. Because that just says moss. 
We would not have Christmas moss. Um, we would not have Christmas needles. All right, let me get two more. Two more. Christmas trees. Christmas trees is true. And then let me get one more answer. One more. Did you say joy? Elf? Elf. We would not have elves. Christmas elves. That is true. All right. Now I want you to think about this list for just a second, right? Now I want you to think for a moment. When it comes to Christmas and all of our traditions and all of the things that we celebrate, we love December 25th, or you don't. But however you look at it, it's a large part because of these kinds of things. That there's something inside of you and something inside of me that loves the season of Christmas and for a lot of the same reasons. You get family to come in. You get eggnog. You get the whole deal. You get all of these sorts of things, including Christmas moss. And so you get all those things when it comes to Christmas. But here's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. Is if we didn't have Christmas, we would be lacking in these things. But Christmas centers around an event in history, right? Christmas isn't just about all the things that we kind of gather up when it comes to being, you know, in some ways consumerist around these things. And it doesn't really just gather up all the things that we have when it comes to our traditions. Christmas centers on an event in history that happened. And that event centers around Jesus Christ being born. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you believe that Jesus is the son of God or not, whether you're a faith person or you're a skeptic, no matter where you are on that spectrum, we could all say this, that Christmas at least initiated and began in a lot of ways because Jesus was born into the world. And so the question that I really want to spend a few minutes exploring today is this, what if there was no Christ, right? Like if there was no Christmas, we would have all of these things. But if Jesus had never entered into the world, That if Jesus never came into the world, what would our lives actually look like? Because a lot of us interact with the teachings of Jesus every single day. And a lot of us interact with what he did and his influence every single day. And oftentimes we have no idea that the things that we do every single day, the things that we're a part of every single day, are connected to something that Jesus said or that Jesus did. And not only that he said or he did, but that he said first and that he modeled and did first. So what I want to do is we have this video that we want to show you that really just kind of outlines what some of those teachings are and really talks about what would happen if Jesus had never come into the world and if he didn't exist. Now, for those of you who call Kensington home, while we're watching this video, we're going to invite our ushers to move forward. We're going to receive our offering. Over the last few, um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about all that we've been doing here, uh, really kind of globally and locally to be a part of this. And so if you call Kensington Church home, we just want to say thank you so much for being a part of that. Your giving makes all that stuff happen. Uh, but as we do that, our ushers are going to move forward. We're going to see the offering, and we're going to talk about this video. So let's watch this together. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus was never born? More than likely, it's a question that has never entered most of our minds. So let me try another question. What impact did Jesus leave on culture, history, and the world? At first, you might think to yourself, not a whole lot. But as we investigate the impact of this baby born over 2,000 years ago, the answer to the question, what if Jesus was never born, may surprise you. Let's start with the obvious, the easy stuff. Christmas. After all, it is called Christ Mass. Without the birth of Jesus, December 25th would just be another winter day. No Rudolph. No Jingle Bells. And come to think of it, no Santa. Don't worry, kids. Santa is alive and well. What about music? Who would Carrie Underwood plead to to take the wheel? And what about movies? 
Can you imagine the movie Talladega Nights without Ricky Bobby's heartfelt prayer? Dear tiny infant Jesus. We... Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. It's amazing how many movies use the story of Jesus to influence their own narrative. Believe it or not, even Frozen parallels this amazing story. In his book, Who Is This Man?, John Orberg describes it this way. Elsa craves freedom. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Is cast out and creates hell, just with ice instead of fire. And her little sister, Anna, she's Elsa's Christ-like redeemer who is wounded for Elsa's sins, dies, or freezes, to save her sister and is resurrected. Sound familiar? Without Jesus, would the cross be as recognized around the world? It marks more graves, graces more jewelry, and sits atop more churches than any other design. His influence has swept over history, bringing his inspiration to influence art, science, government, medicine, and education. He has taught humans about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. Jesus changed how we think about our week. Remember the Beatles song, Eight Days a Week? Well, there was a time when that was the case. By the end of the third century, Rome's old eight-day week had been replaced by the seven-day calendar of Israel and the church. Orberg puts it this way. 2,000 years after his birth, every time any human being anywhere on the planet looks at the date, we were reminded daily that Jesus Christ and no other has become the hinge of history. Jesus was a carpenter, but later became a teacher and a rabbi. He was asked in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus added the word mind. Monasteries became places of great learning. A Jesus follower named Benedict collected so many ancient manuscripts that he became known as the godfather of libraries. From monasteries came universities. The first university was established in Paris around the 12th century, and Oxford and Cambridge began in the 13th. These were all begun by followers of Jesus so people could love God with all their minds. Jesus lived a brief life in an obscure provincial, male-dominated culture. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, there was a huge shortage of women, about 140 men for every 100 women. Yikes. What happened to the other women? Well, they were left to die when they were born the wrong sex. But Jesus puts a high value on women. Check out the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and one other person found in the Gospel of John. It is in the heat of the day next to a well with a Samaritan woman. He had a deep theological, personal discussion with her. He took her seriously, her mind and opinions and questions. Later in chapter 4 it states, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Jesus was doing something very subversive. Is it possible that ripples went out from that one life that have affected and still speak to women today? Before the life of Jesus, if someone was sick or if a plague was taking over a nation, the hurting and the ill were simply thrown into the streets where they would wait to perish. But there was a community that remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean, who told his disciples to go heal the sick. In the early centuries of the church, leprosy meant isolation and death. A church father named Basil had an idea. What if we build a place to love and care for the lepers? That was the beginning of what would come to be known as hospitals. 
In the 4th century, the Council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a place of caring for the sick and poor. Whenever you see the Red Cross or hear the bells of the Salvation Army, you are experiencing the thumbprint of Jesus. Whenever you say the words World Vision or YMCA or Compassion International, you are speaking, know it or not, of the movement of Jesus. Jesus brought a new way of thinking and living. Before Jesus, greatness was defined as power, riches, and the conquering of lands. Jesus defined greatness by humbling himself to wash his disciples' feet. In the Roman Empire, someone might be humbled by losing money or status or title. No one deliberately humbled himself until Jesus. Forgiveness is not a natural act. In the 1982 movie, Conan the Barbarian, Arnold Schwarzenegger was asked the question, what is best in life? He responded, Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. That is good. An alternative idea came from Galilee. Martin Luther King gave a speech in 1961 in the city of Detroit that captures this idea of forgiveness. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him and he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. Before Jesus, was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, or gender? Was there an intention to pursue people, no matter their moral background, education, or income? Was there ever a belief to pursue all people to be loved and transformed? Not only had there never been a community like this before, but there simply had never been the idea of a community like this before. It was Jesus' idea. When Jesus was born, it was heaven invading earth. When someone volunteers somewhere to help a left out child learn to read or confess holding a grudge against another and instead seeks to forgive or gets an idea to be generous with their money and actually does so or defends the rights of a vulnerable woman or treats an overlooked nobody with dignity, these are not man's ideas. These are God's ideas. And Jesus showed the world the heart of the Father. So let me ask you another question. What if Jesus was never born? What would your world be like? Did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save us and 
daughters, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you Part of the reason that I, uh, I love that song so much uh, is because the lyrics of it uh, place us right in the narrative of the Christmas story um, that I think a lot of it hinges on. And most of us have seen nativity scenes. Most of us have read a story at some point at home. Most of you have seen those things. And we think of the iconic sort of Jesus idea, but that song really makes it so personal. And it makes it personal through the eyes of the mother of Jesus. I want to read you a couple of these lyrics. So, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Do you know that this child that you're holding is going to do supernatural, divine things that almost feel unexplainable? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? That as you're holding this child, did you know 
And he is, in fact, the savior of the world. And then I think uh, probably one of my favorites out of the entire song was this. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? He's come to make you new. That this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. When you hear the narrative of the Christmas story, when you hear the accounts of how Jesus came into the world, what I want to do today is I want to start with the idea that when Mary held her baby, she held her king. That when she held this child, this young teenage refugee in the ancient world, that she was holding Jesus, who would leave such an impact on humanity, who would be so influential throughout all of history, whose thoughts and ideas would be shared and shared and shared, and they would be shared to the point that people who followed him and believed in him would give their lives for what they both saw and what they believed. That Jesus' influence would spread not just in this ancient world, but it would spread throughout thousands of years, throughout all humanity. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or, you know, we could... Maybe, I guess, debate this in some ways, but I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus really, at some point, became the most influential person in history. And the reason I say this is that because after Jesus' death, his message began to explode all over the ancient world. And it continued to explode into the next century and then the next millennium. It just continued to expand and explode. And it came out in all of these subtle ways to the ancient world and even in our modern world. But Jesus had influence went far beyond what so so many people even imagined that were living during that time. Now, that's all great and heady and slightly intellectual, and you're like, yes, he made an impact on the world. And even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we could get there. I think the more intriguing question, the more interesting question for us to think about is this. What does the influence of Jesus look like in your own life, right? Like in the video, you get all of these, you know, kind of points and specific areas that you could look at. But I think for you, what is the influence of Jesus in your life specifically? Now, I grew up uh, in church. I grew up going to church since I was, you know, a little kid. And the narrative that I was handed of Jesus uh, was one that was so fascinating. They would use pictures and all these sorts of things to describe him. And I love this. Anybody ever seen these kinds of pictures of Jesus before? And it's so much fun. It's like you have this one. And then how many of you had this at your house or your grandmama's house at some point? Anybody have this one? Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating for me because this is the narrative that I grew up with. And I love it because it's a white dude with Fabio hair and blue eyes. Like that's the best thing ever, right? And then you have this picture of Jesus. And I love these. A lot of them have these versions. And Jesus isn't angry, but he's slightly looking judgmental, right? Like I know what you did last summer. Like that sort of thing is happening over and over again. And I was brought up with a narrative that Jesus, this iconic Jesus figure, this historical Jesus that, you know, did all these things and almost like in some ways feels like an urban legend was this like, but he knows, you know what I mean? Like there was that sort of thing that just happened for me. And the older I got in middle school or in high school and when I started dating, that was just the, you know, you know, Jesus is watching you on your date kind of thing. Like that was just kind of how that worked. And I felt all sorts of things around that. But I think when you stop and you take away some of the like iconic you know, decorative versions of Jesus. And you get to the fact that Jesus was a man with skin that walked and talked and interacted with people, that he was tempted just like you and I were, that he needed deodorant like every male and teenager in the room, right? He was that. 
He was a person, and he was a person that lived in a specific part of the world during a specific time period. Now, scholars have gotten together, and they've been trying to like, figure out what would a, an average man living in this area of the world possibly look like. And I've shown you this picture before because I think it's so important for us to kind of take this sort of thing down and remember that Jesus was a man that lived in this ancient world that spoke to the political powers of his day, that spoke to what it looks like to be humble. He was a guy, too. And when you begin to realize the Savior of the world entered into the world in one of the most humble ways, when you begin to realize all of the little parts of the narrative that just stand out, the fact that he was born to this young girl and the conspiracy around the fact that Joseph and her weren't married, you know, at the time. Joseph said, no, 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 I'm still going to choose to marry you and be your husband. The fact that... (laughs) The fact that Jesus came into the world and the angels show up to the shepherds who were not the upper class citizens, but like in this area of the social class. That the people to find out about the savior of the world, it was almost like God was injecting himself into humanity in the most humble way possible. The fact that Jesus Christ, the most influential person in history, was laid in like a trough that animals ate out of is not so your nativity scene looks good and that it feels good. It's because God was communicating something about the world and about your heart as an individual. And so when you, probably like me, are presented ideas where you just feel fear around God or you continually just feel shame around God, there's this issue there. Because the acts of God was sending Jesus into the world. And the acts of Jesus by living the life that he lived, treating people the way that he did, elevating women in the way that he did, entering into the world like that demonstrates love from God, not just this. In fact, we can say it this way. The character of God is demonstrated in his acts of love towards us in the way that Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the grave. Now, years after Jesus' death, there's a writer named Paul. Paul is fascinating to me because he was the guy that I would not really enjoy hanging out with, I don't think, uh, because he was very intellectual and very smart. He probably was a little bit like your uncle at the dinner table who was like, let's just talk politics. Like he, and he knows, like he would, he would own you and all of it, right? Paul was very, very smart, very, very brilliant, very, very trained. And he would write on this intersection of faith, theology, and practical living. In fact, what he would do is he would write to all of these churches and all of these people trying to work out what it looks like to live out their faith in a community of people who they would say are followers of the way. And what he does in these like three or four sentences captures the heart of the Christmas story within the larger context of theology and how we work that out in our lives. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter four. He says, but when the set time had fully come. Now this is one of those sentences that you read in your Bible and just kind of gloss over. But think about what he's saying. But when the set time, meaning that there was a time kind of ordained for Jesus to come into the world, had fully come, that all of the conditions around Jesus' coming into the world became whole and this was the moment, then he entered into the world. 
Now, if you read the Old Testament, and if you look at this, you have this idea that kind of starts popping up of these prophecies of people who would point to the future and they would look to a Savior. And oftentimes they were looking to a Savior to save them out of a political structure or slavery a lot of times. Some of these prophecies came out of that. But what you begin to discover is that they're pointing to a one day the Savior will come, one day this person will come, one day he will deliver us and set us free. Now, what we find in the Old Testament is that there's 456 of these prophecies all scattered throughout the Old Testament who point to the Savior of the world and say he is coming. Now, here's what's amazing about these prophecies. They all begin to point back to Jesus. Now, when you think about one man fulfilling 456 separate prophecies that were kind of scattered all throughout, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years... The odds of that are pretty slim. In fact, there's a guy who actually wanted to look at some of these odds, and he didn't look at them at 456. He looked at them at eight specific prophecies. Now, the reason that he focused on these eight, which I think is even more compelling, is he said that some people can debate some of the 456. That you could maybe debate, did he mean that, or did he not mean that, or did Jesus act like some of that? You know, the biggest skeptics could debate that sort of thing. But he said skeptics and believers are like, come together on these specific eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and that were told long before he ever came. Now, I want to just highlight, too, the fact that the guy who wrote this is a guy named Peter Stoner, chairman, I'm going to say this slowly because I think this is just amazing, chairman of departments of mathematics and astronomy. That's like the best degree ever, right? That is not my degree. Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy. He said the odds of Jesus, one man coming, fulfilling these specific eight prophecies, I thought would be like one in a hundred, one in a thousand. It would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros that aren't in my bank account, right? Now, I don't have context for 10 to the 17th power. And he knew that. And he knew that people wouldn't. So anytime you talk about big things, what do you talk about? You talk about Texas, right? And so what he says is this, if you were to imagine Texas being covered with silver dollars at a certain depth, here's what he said. So you send a guy to Texas with it covered in these silver dollars, and you tell him to go after one specific silver dollar. And if you want context for what the odds of this actually are, you need to know that it would take that person about 700 years to find that one. And we're talking about eight of the prophecies. Now there's a second tier of this where he starts talking about it and he talks about 48 prophecies and the number becomes explosive at this point. He says this, it would be 10 to the 157th and yes, I counted all the zeros. 10 to the 157th power. Now here's why it's so important. I think it's what Paul gets after. But there was a set time for Jesus to enter into the world, and it didn't involve Instagram and Twitter. And it didn't involve the fake news thing. That Jesus came when he came for a reason, and he fulfilled these prophecies when he came. Not eight, not 48, 456 of them. And Paul goes on and he says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now we're going to talk about speeding tickets. What was happening is this political and religious structure that were intertwined together to make up the way that people lived 
Now don't miss this. This is so important. Paul is saying that Jesus entered into their broken structure. Jesus entered into the world in the brokenness and the pain and the suffering. He entered into a world where women were devalued, elderly were devalued. He entered into the world with murder and pain. And then they give the reason why. Paul says, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption and sonship. That at the appointed time, at the set time, the God of the universe sent Jesus into the world to this teenage refugee young girl to be laid in a trough because there was no room in the end. And that he would come into the brokenness and the pain And he would come into the sin and the suffering. And he would come into the political structures that felt off. And he would speak of a way of living that was different than anything anyone had ever heard. He would speak to relationships in a way that no one had ever seen before. He would speak to the heart of people in a way that no one had ever seen. He would interact with women in a way that would cause the religious people to judge him. And him to go, I don't care. He would elevate the low. And he would, he would come and point to a redemption that is seen through the lives of people who chose to follow him. And it would be individual to each and every single person. I believe that Jesus changed the world, absolutely. I believe his influence is still influential a thousand of years later, absolutely. But I think it is also so personal to us that the God of the universe steps into our pain and our brokenness. And the story of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to make what was broken whole again. Under the law to redeem those unto the law. And to allow us to be sons and daughters of God. So for me, the story of Christmas is this. That the presence of Jesus changed the world. But it also has the power to change you and to change me. The story of Christmas talks about a child that came into the world to bring redemption. Who came into the world with brokenness. But it also speaks to the God who wants to come into our hearts and in our lives and our decision-making and in our minds and allow us to be changed and allow us to experience the redemption from the brokenness that a lot of us live in, that all of us live in at some point. Now, I've been sitting with this talk for a couple of months, and I've been trying to, I was trying to figure out, like, all that sounds great, and we could talk about Jesus' influence all over the world. But what about like my personal individual thing with Jesus in terms of influencing my life? And uh, for me, I thought back to uh, my, I believe it was my freshman or sophomore year of high school. Um, Part of my story, a lot of you know this, I grew up single parent home. The circumstances of me coming into the world were about as not great as you could possibly imagine. 
And so what I would do as I got through late middle school, early high school, is I would just talk to them. I would be like, Mom, I want to talk to you about, like, what happened? Why? Give me, like, the rundown. I went through, like, a whole angry phase, you know? I went through all that. And I'm talking to her one day. And one of the questions that rattled in my head was, she was 39 years old and she had me. And, uh, and, and when she had me, she would tell stories about how people would talk about how difficult her life would be, how painful that was. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to have this baby? Those kinds of things. I'll never forget, as we're talking one night, she's talking about things. And I always knew, like, I felt like the courage and the bravery thing. What I had never really heard her talk about was this, this sense of, like, calling that she felt. And people use that word all the time. But she would say this, like, I felt called to be your mom because I felt like Jesus teaches that. And then she fills in the blank. Because I feel like Jesus is calling me into this sort of thing. And in the midst of being a 39-year-old woman, single, trying to figure out how to do this, she chose faith in Jesus' teaching on how to live. She chose that I'm going to follow in spite of the fact that this is not going to be comfortable and it's going to be extraordinarily difficult. She chose to look at the world through a different lens and a different perspective of saying, I choose to follow even when I don't understand, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful. And the courage and the bravery that came out of that, I thought was her. And it wasn't. It was Jesus' influence over her entire life. Now, I said this last week. I, I hear all the time. If you're a skeptic, if you're not a Christian, I get it. Everybody points towards, like, you listen to the news, you know, evangelical this, evangelical that. They say this, they say that. And you're like, oh, gosh, I don't know. But when you watch people embrace the teachings of Jesus, embrace the person of Jesus and who he is, and you watch people crack open their heart just enough to say, God, come into this and make me whole again. And you watch the life change that comes from people who submit to that. It's extraordinary. So if you're here and you're skeptic, if you're here because your grandparents drug you, if you're here because this is what you do on Christmas, I think what I hope for you is is that you would just crack open your heart just a little bit to ask yourself the question, what if? What if this is true? What if the story of Christmas isn't just about the iconic Jesus figure that oftentimes we think about, but it is about God communicating something to all of humanity about what he wants to do in all of our hearts. What if that's true? And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, my hope for you today is that amongst all of the Christmas stuff, that we just pause and breathe and let ourselves remember that God pursued your heart to the depth of sending that baby into the world to grow up and die on a cross for you. So that you could experience that wholeness that the Christmas story points to. So to wrap up our time together, uh, what I want to do is I want to read you uh, the verses in Luke, uh, where Luke talks about the Christmas story, and 
Now, I'd love for you to take one of those approaches. If you're a skeptic, I'd love for you to think about that. Even if it's two and a half minutes, it's going to take about two and a half minutes to read it. The next two and a half minutes, I would just love for you to just open your heart for just a second. And then you can leave and, you know, and then you get to do whatever. And you can argue with me in your head on the way home because I love that. And just call me because I love to talk about it. That's my favorite thing. I love to do that. And then if you're a follower of Jesus for the next few minutes, I mean, this is the first time that you've paused the entire Christmas season just remember what he did on your behalf. And so what I'm asking you to do in the next few minutes is just to rest in it. Some of you, you need to close your eyes during this moment and just let it like happen. You just need to hear these words. Some of you need to read the words on the screen. Some of you just need to take a big, deep breath because you've been busy for a long time. But let us just remember these words. This is Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God saying these words. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that in these next few moments that you would help every single one of us to pause and just open our minds and open our hearts what you did for us amidst the brokenness of humanity amidst the brokenness of our own hearts amidst the pain that we've felt amidst the loss that some of us have felt amidst the difficulty of our lives amidst the joy and the lows all the highs everything every part of this existence and you entered into it on our behalf And you entered into it in a way that was so humbling in some ways to you. God, remind us that you make things whole again. Father, remind us that you meet us at our points of brokenness. And remind us that the Christmas story is about a child who would not be a child forever, but would grow up and take all of the sin and all of the pain and suffering of the world, all the shame of the world onto himself. And he would overwhelm it with love. 
over these next few moments, I pray that you would remind us of those truths and that we would rest in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at our Christmas services every year, um, we give you a candle when you came in. And the reason that we give you this candle is um, it's representative of what we believe that Jesus did, that when he entered into the world, he entered into darkness, he entered into that was pain, the suffering entered into the sin that was in the world. And what overcame that was this light that he had. And the light overcame the darkness. That through his death and his resurrection on the cross, that this light was passed on to person, to person, to be given in the world so that his message would go forward. That that redemption and that wholeness would move forward into all of humanity for all of time. And that we get to be a part of that. That as followers of Jesus, we get to be a part of seeing that redemption come to pass in our world and in all forms. And so the ushers are going to come by. They're going to help you light your candle. But over these next few moments, uh, Ryan and Carrie and Annie, they're going to lead us in a song. And I would ask you just to kind of stay seated for just a moment as we do this. And you can sing the song. You can hold your candle. And there's going to be a point uh, where Ryan is going to invite us to Stand, And when we stand, I'm asking to kind of hold it high. I know that sounds odd, but just as a point of celebration as we sing out together. Over these next few moments, my prayer for you is that you're just reminded of that rest that comes in knowing what he did for you and what he did on our behalf. Let's sing this together. stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and his soul felt its worth.
hold up our candles as a sign. Come all ye faithful, bow before our Savior. Come let us adore the one who came for us. Glory in the highest, praise the name of Jesus. Our King has come. Oh, our King has come. Our King has come. out no come all ye faithful bow before our savior come let us adore the one who came for us glory in the highest praise the name of jesus our king has come oh, our king has come Defeated for the weary, for the weakest you came. Oh, Jesus, you Thank you. 
singing with us. You can go ahead and blow out your candle. To wrap up our time together, um, we want to sing one last song. And the song that we're going to sing is a song that we've been singing around here, and it's called Grateful. And we've paired it with a song called Joy to the World that we all know. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus over the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to sing as loud as you can because the 11 o'clock crowd is the fun, rowdy one. Am I right? Yeah, you are. And then real quick, where are all my bad singers at? Real quick, all the bad singers in the room, go ahead and write, don't be proud. Be proud. We're going to do this together. So we're going to really sound terrible when we sing, but at least we're in it together. Is that all right? Can we sing that together? So as Ryan and the band lead this over these next few moments, we just want to celebrate what Jesus has done. The fact that he wasn't only a child, that he came, he died on the cross, and he raised uh, from the grave uh, on behalf uh, of us. So we're going to sing this out with all we have in these next few moments. Let's sing this together.
Oh 
All right, well, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being with us today. And want to let you know one last thing. Uh, tonight, if you want to, we have a night of worship that's going to happen right here. We would love to invite you to that. Also, next Sunday, uh, we have our, uh, we start a brand new series. Uh, so you'll be with us next Sunday. The Sunday after that, we're doing a series called Crave. So we'd love for you to join us for that. If you come back tonight, it starts at 11 p.m. right here at our church. And uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. If not, Merry Christmas, safe travels. Hope you and your family have a great one. And we'll see you right back here next week. Thank you so much for watching online. We know that week in and week out, so many of you are a part of this community. And if you're just joining us, we're so glad that you're here. Again, you can find out all the information you need to know about our church at kensingtonchurch.org, or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Those are some of the best places to find out more information about all that's going on here at our church. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you soon.